outline tonight if you, if you grabbed uh, one of the uh, prayer pages on the way in. And uh, we're going to start a series. I don't know how long uh, we'll be in it, but uh, I, I find more and more people are asking questions about the Bible, the Word of God. And by the way, that's a good thing when people are curious about the Word of God. And so tonight we're going to start this new series. And uh, do we have another slide here? There we go. All right. And so uh, have you guys figured out what this says? There you go. You get the brownie point tonight, all right? Rightly dividing the word. And so when you think about that, that verse, matter of fact, I think you have it there, 2 Timothy 2.15. Let's, let's read this verse together, all right? Here we go. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Yeah, so rightly dividing what? The word of truth. It's a great way to describe the Bible, the word of truth. Remember what Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Yeah, the truth shall set you free. The truth shall make you free. So it's important that, first of all, look, we can't help anyone unless we know what the truth is. See, that's where it all starts. God's given us his word, and we know that Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the way, I am the truth. And I'm the life. So what are we really doing when we share the truth? We're sharing Jesus with other people is what we're doing. That's what we're going to do on Sunday is we're going to just share the truth with people. So tonight, listen, uh, some of you uh, have been in a few settings like uh, the men's uh, breakfast uh, Bible study that we did. Uh, some of you that were in that, some of this tonight may sound a little uh, familiar to you, maybe parts of it. Uh, I'll just tell you up front. This really is kind of an introductory type, but it's going to lay the groundwork for the days ahead on Wednesday nights, and uh, there's so many things we could get into, uh, and, and so what I want to do is I want to kind of introduce a few things. So tonight's going to kind of sound like a, a doctrinal treatise. It's going to kind of sound like Baptist history, and uh, there may be a few other things that we'll cover tonight, but listen, can I tell you, it's all good, every last bit of it. And I, I hope that some of this will help you to understand a little bit more. Uh, I know that I got saved when I was 20 years old. I didn't even know what a Baptist was when I got saved. And I will tell you this, that we as Bible-believing Christians, we have a rich heritage. Uh, listen, America was founded as a Christian nation. And when you think about Bible-believing Christians, we're going to see tonight that there is a heritage there that, listen, we shouldn't be ashamed of. We should be we should be proud to be in a long line of Bible-believing Christians. And I hope that this is something that might enlighten you or help you uh, as we get into the study tonight. Now, I will say this, when you think about the truth, as you see here, rightly dividing the word of truth, can I tell you tonight that the truth is something worth standing for? It's something worth standing for. I hope that you understand the value of the truth, but listen, let me put it this way, the truth is not only worth standing for, but the truth is worth dying for. I got real quiet there. See, the truth is the truth. The truth doesn't change. Let me give you an illustration of this, because when you think about this matter of the truth, okay, does anybody recognize or has anybody ever heard the name Thomas Hawks? Does that ring a bell to anybody? This is a poor picture, but put that picture up there, Brother Mike. Thomas Hawks was a man that 
this, this, this account of his life, February the 9th, 1555. He was brought before Bishop Bonner, who was a bishop in the Roman Catholic Church. And so Thomas Hawks was brought before this bishop, and he was questioned, and based on his answers to the questions that he was given, by Bonner, Hawks was condemned as a heretic. And here's the following charges. Listen to these. He was condemned three, three reasons why they called him a heretic. Number one is he refused to have his child baptized by the Catholic Church. So they condemned him a heretic. The second reason he was condemned a heretic was because he refused to listen to the Mass in Latin. At that particular time, the Catholic Mass, their service, if you want to call it, it was being conducted in Latin. The third reason he was condemned a heretic is because he chose to read the Bible for himself. Now think about that. That means we'd all be a heretic, according to Bishop Bonner and the church at that particular time in 1555. Now, you may or may not be familiar with the, with the word heretic, but I've given you here, a heretic, according to the definition, is anyone who does not conform to church doctrines. Now, in this instance, it would have been Bonner saying that Hawks doesn't line up with the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. That's the, that's the reference that we see here tonight. So as a result of the crimes, and that's what they called them against Hawks, the crimes that he had committed, Hawks was sentenced to die on June the 10th. So there were some other folks, as a matter of fact, quite a few believers that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ just like Hawks did. And they were very concerned what was going on with Hawks because, listen, you do understand that what happens to one individual, it's going to trickle down to other people who believe the same thing. And so they, they were very concerned about this. And they were, they were thinking to themselves, what are we going to do? Because it's, it's, it's Thomas Hawks today, it could be us tomorrow. So some of them actually had an opportunity. They came to Hawks while he was uh, being held, uh, waiting for his, his, his execution. And because of their apprehension, they asked Hawks, and by the way, you can barely tell there because of the picture because it's back in 1555. But what they would do is they would burn them at the stake. That was the form of execution. For Jesus, it was the cross. So what happened was they came to, to Hawks and they said, listen, we, we need to know that God's grace is sufficient. When you're going through this, can you help us? Give us some kind of sign to let us know that God is there with you, that, that you're, you're able to endure this, to go through this suffering time, this true account. They asked, they asked Hawks if he would do that, and so Hawks agreed. And, and so here's what happened was, Hawks said that if, if enduring this endeavor, that he had perfect peace of mind, that he would lift his hands above his head, and then they would know that was the sign that God's grace was sufficient. And it would comfort them who might be following in his footsteps. So the day came of his execution. 
and they anxiously looked to see if he would give them the sign. So here he is, they, they, they tied him to the stake, they lit the, the wood beneath him, and the flames began to rise up. He had been in that fire for quite some time. It was to the point where he could not speak. His skin was shrunken. True account, one said that his fingers had burnt off. And everyone at that point thought that Hawks was dead. But suddenly, out of the flames, Hawks raised both his arms, and you can see it there. He raised them both above his head, and without his fingers, he clapped his hands together three times to show those that were out there watching that God was there with him. And the, and the account is, is that the people that understood the significance of this sign, that they broke out into praise and applause as Thomas Hawks, one of our forefathers, slipped out into eternity. Now, that's just one of many accounts, folks. There are so many others. Can I tell you tonight that to Thomas Hawks, and I hope to us tonight, that doctrine was important then and doctrine is still important today. Knowing what we believe, Baptist people have always stood for the doctrines of the Bible. We have always. It's always been the case. Listen to what Dr. J.M. Carroll said, and he did a lot of historical study to the background here. Listen to what he said. I found much church history. Most of it seemed to be about the, the Catholics and the Protestants. The history of Baptists, I found, was written in blood. He says there were, they were hated people of the Dark Ages. Their preachers and people were put into prison and untold numbers were put to death. The world has never seen anything to compare with the suffering, the persecutions heaped upon Baptists by the Catholic hierarchy during the Dark Ages. There's an account that at Zurich, what was known as the Senate, actually made an act. It was a, a, a declaration or a proclamation that if any presume to rebaptize those who were baptized before as infants, that they were to be drowned in the river. That was the act that they gave out. Uh, at, at Vienna, many Anabaptists were tied together by chains that one drew the other after him into the river wherein they were, they were all drowned. In 1539, two Anabaptists were burned beyond Southwark, and before them, five Dutch Anabaptists were burned in Smithfield. In 1611, a company of Paulicians who were Baptistic in their beliefs, they entered Oxford, and when they entered Oxford, listen to this, Henry II ordered them to be branded on their foreheads with hot irons to be publicly whipped throughout the streets of the city to have their garments cut short at the girdles and to be turned into the open country and the villages were not to afford them any shelter or food 
and they perished a lingering death from cold and from hunger. This was the fate of many who, like hawks, just wanted to read his Bible, just wanted to follow what the Scriptures had to say. In other words, the doctrines of the Word of God. Listen to what Cardinal Husius, who was the president of the Catholic Council of Trent back in 1524, listen to what this Catholic cardinal said. He said, were it not that the Baptists have been grievously tormented and cut off with the knife during the past 1,200 years, they would have swarmed in greater numbers than all the Reformers. They were out after Bible-believing Christians. That 1,200 years were the years that preceded. Listen, a lot of times we hear about, maybe you've heard historically about the Reformation. That 1,200 years preceded the Reformation. And it says here that, that that was the time where Rome persecuted Baptists with most cruel, the most cruel persecutions ever thinkable. You've heard the name Sir Isaac Newton. Listen to what Isaac Newton said. The Baptists are the only body of known Christians that have never symbolized with Rome. You know what it means? They've, they've never been a part of. They've never been attached to Rome. He said, Newton said, they're the only ones at his, in his day that had never symbolized. Listen, it may come as a surprise to contemporary Protestants and Roman Catholics to learn that Baptists did not originate at the Reformation. Listen, we predate, our forefathers predate the Reformation. And we need to understand this historically. When the Reformation came, listen, Anabaptists at first breathed a sigh of relief, but quickly they discovered that the Protestants could persecute them just as severely, resorting to the same church-state model that Rome had actually brutally enforced for centuries. In other words, the Protestants did not become friends of Baptists. They just continued doing to Bible-believing Christians what the Roman Catholic Church had already been doing. See, a lot of people, when you hear people talk about us today, they put us in that group of Protestants is what they do. Folks, we've never been a part of that. Listen, we predate that. We didn't come out from the Catholic Church. Listen to what uh, C.H. Spurgeon said. Listen to this. It's a little lengthy, but I think you'll, you'll get it tonight. He says, we believe that the Baptists are the original Christians. We did not commence our existence at the Reformation. We were reformers before Luther or Calvin were even born. We never came from the Church of Rome, for we were never in it. But we have an unbroken line up to the apostles themselves. We have always existed from the very days of Christ. And our principles, sometimes veiled and forgotten like a river which travels underground for a little season, have always had honest and holy adherence. Now throw that next slide up there, Brother Mike. Here's the trail of blood right here. And this isn't just, this isn't all. 
But these are, these are groups of people that believe, believe what we believe today. See, we weren't always called Baptists. That's the name we go by now. The reality is, listen, I'm a Christian before I'm a Baptist, you know. And, and, but understand here, I want you to see, because all of these people, like some that I've already used as an example, they gave their lives for what they believed. Do you believe it that much that you would be willing to die for what you believe? These people actually, with their lives, sealed that. Listen, listen, I'll give you a little flavor tonight, all right? These are some of the people that in all ages uh, identify with, with the same doctrine that we still hold to today. The first group you see up there, the Donatists. See the name there. These were followers of Donatius Magnus, who was a man that declared that the clergy were ineligible to perform the sacraments. And so he stood against that. And because of that, they were branded. Here's another group, the Novatians. These people were followers of Novation, who was a man that disputed, he, he, his dispute was over apostasy and dealing with members in sin. In other words, listen, is it still not true today that, that the Catholic Church has swept things under the rug? Well, that was going on back in that day. And Novatius, listen, he said this ought not to be. If there's sin in the camp, the Bible says it needs to be dealt with. But they branded these people heretics. Look at the next group, the Paulicians, and you can see the name there, Paul. These, these were people who took the name from the Apostle Paul, and, and these were people that held to the sacred writings. They rejected all idol worship. Listen, listen to this. They demanded salvation before baptism. Yeah, can you believe that? And they believed that baptism was by immersion. Now, where in the world would they get those concepts from? From the Bible. They were following the sacred writings. Look at the next group. This, this group here was called the Petrobrusians. These were followers of a man by the name of Peter of Bruges who stood against the hierarchy and the sacraments and church ordinances. These are all things that are, that are part of the Catholic Church. Hey, do you remember what Luther did? He, he nailed his 95 thesis on the door in Wittenberg, Germany. Those were his grievances against the Catholic Church. These were the people that said, look, something's not right here. And, and, and the reason they knew it was not right is the same reason today. If we hear something, listen, the, the rule, the gauge that we should use is the Word of God. Look in the Bible and see if that is so is what the Bible says we should do. If you look on, here's, here's a group here called the Albigenses. Uh, this group was also known as the, the uh, Cathari, and the word Cathari comes from our word katharos, or catheter. These were people who believed in a purity. They believed that keeping themselves only unto God. And these were people that took their name from Albi, France. They believed in purity and were against the clergy and they knew from firsthand accounts the clergy was corrupt. Uh, here's another group, the, the Arnoldists. They were followers of Arnold of Brucia, who criticized the wealth and possessions of the Roman Catholic Church and preached against baptism and the Eucharist. All of these groups that, listen, they, they stood for what was true, what was right. The, the Hussites, 
They, they followed the teachings of John Huss, who taught that lay people had the ability to interpret the scriptures for themselves. Now think about it. Do you know that's, that's how God got through to Luther? You know, sola scriptura, you know, by faith alone. Listen, it was because Luther was reading the Bible. And here's a group of people from the teachings of Huss that they believed that people ought to be, they were opposed to the selling of indulgences. Listen, that was a biggie for the Catholic Church, you know. How about this, the Waldenses, they followed a man by the name of Peter Waldo who rejected all seven sacraments and they believed that we could worship God in some place other than uh, certain places of worship. And so these people would worship in homes and they would worship out in the countryside and, uh, and other places. And that was the Waldenses. And then you had the Lollers. These were followers of John Wycliffe. who were Wycliffe was critical of the Pope and the authority of the Catholic Church. And then the last one is the group known as Anabaptists, who was a group under the teachings of Ulrich, Ulrich Zwingli and Martin Luther. What's interesting is later on, even though they followed those teachings later, Zwingli and Luther actually uh, rejected this group of people because they said they were too radical. And the reason they were radical is because they believed in adult baptism and they believed in a free will and equality among members. Again, where do you find that? In the Word of God. You know, it's amazing when you look at this because what, what Spurgeon says here is he says, we know uh, men in all ages by various names that have, have contended for the purity of the church and her distinctiveness and separation from human government. Our fathers were men familiar to hardships and unaccustomed to ease. They present to us their children an unbroken line which comes legitimately from the apostles, not through the filth of Rome. That's what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon went on to say, long before Protestants were known of, Anabaptists were protesting for the one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's what Spurgeon said. So what was it that all of these and many more, what was it that they were willing to die for? One word. Does anybody know what it is? Starts with a D. Doctrine. Their beliefs. That's what they were willing to die for. See, it's doctrine. Look at, write it down. Doctrine is our beliefs. It's our instruction. It's the teaching of the Word of God. Doctrine is the foundation for all that we believe. What's your foundation tonight? Listen, we stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Why do we sing those songs? Because the Word of God is what our, our church, our lives is built upon. And understand tonight that our doctrine is the foundation of all that we believe. Now, let me give you, I'm going to go through these kind of quickly tonight. You can write them down, but let me give you these doctrines. These are the 10 major doctrines you'll find in the Word of God. The first one is called Bibliology. This is a, just a study of the Bible. It's a study of the facts about the Bible, the, the origin of the Word of God. You ever had somebody tell you that the Bible is man's book? You know, Again, when you study Bibliology, there's no mistake that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is God's Word. It's not man's Word, all right? And so we study Bibliology. The second one is Theology, all right? You need to keep up with me here. Okay, Bible, next one, Theology. Okay, so Theology is a study of, study of God, all right? So when we talk about God, we're talking about His attributes. We're talking about, uh, you know, His work. 
of salvation. We're talking about uh, his existence. And so you have theology. The third one is Christology, okay? And uh, there you go. There you go. All right. So give me the next one there. Christology is the doctrine of Christ, all right? Is it there? Hello? No? All right. So it's, it's, I'm just going to keep going then. So it's, it, it, when you talk about Christology, it talks about Jesus' pre-incarnate uh, his deity, that, that he was, Jesus is eternal, he's God. He existed before he came into this world. And so when you study Christology, you're talking about his attributes, the work of salvation. And that's what, that's what we studied last Sunday. Look at the next one is this matter of pneumatology. This might be a word that you're not, anybody in here ever heard of like a pneumatic tool? Okay, what do they work on? What's the premise? Air, right? So when you talk about the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, God gave His Word, God breathed, God spirited His Word. God, listen, how did, how did this world come into existence? Was there a big bang? No. How did the world come into existence? God, God spoke the world into existence, right? God created all things, right? And so when you study the Word of God, you find here that the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is, is a cardinal doctrine of the Word of God. Now, there's churches today that don't believe in a triune God, but three of the major doctrines in the Word of God is about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And each one of them, you can see the attributes of each person of the Godhead. Now, that's the Godhead. Look at the next one is the doctrine of anthropology. Do you know the word anthropology? It's the doctrine of what? Of man, okay? So listen, God created uh, man. Man is the crown of God's creation. And so remember what happened in the garden? That leads you to the next doctrine. And the next doctrine is the doctrine of hamartiology, all right? What is hamartiology? Well, that's the doctrine of sin, okay? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you guys see where I'm going with this? Some of you are having a hard time keeping up with these big words, all right? And so hamartiology is, is the doctrine of sin. Listen, we all know that we're sinners by nature, right? So watch this. So man, God created man. Man's a sinner. So what did man need? Salvation. That's the ne next doctrine. Soteriology. A soter is a savior. God said he'd, he would send us a savior and a great one in the book of Isaiah. He did send us a savior. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And so look, God, you can see the grace of God even in the doctrines of God. Because look, because God created man, look, did it surprise God that man sinned? No, nothing surprises God. So as a result, listen, it wasn't like plan B. God knew that man would need a savior. All right, so, so we see salvation, soteriology. Look at the next one. The next doctrine that we have there is angelology. That's a pretty easy one, right? <laughs> now, do you know there are good angels and bad angels, right? There's fallen angels in the Bible. And, it, you know, it's sad because people want to study the Word of God. Listen, I'm going to study the, all the Word of God. Here's the thing is, people spend more time studying about angels than they do about the Savior, you know, listen, be honest with you, what's it going to help you this side of eternity to know everything the Bible says about angels? It's really not going to help you a whole lot. But a lot of people, they're just so enamored. Angels are in the outfield, right? Angels unaware. I mean, there's people, all these movies today about angels. And again, there's, there is, I will tell you this, a lot of what you hear about angels is not in the Bible. It is, it is mystical things. It is myths. It, it, a lot of it, listen, there is, there's even 
some church history that's not Bible that says more about, there's, there's a lot more angels than they mention in the Word of God. There's only a couple angels mentioned by name in the Bible, okay? But there's the doctrine of angelology. The next one is, is ecclesiology. Anybody know what that's a doctrine of? The church. Very good. Ecclesia, a called out assembly. When you think about the church, who started the church? Jesus. So do you see that this doctrine is directly connected to Christology? See, it's very important that we understand the connection because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Christ is building. And by the way, we are the church of the living God even today. That means that he's still building his church. When people get saved, people added to the church, this is still God's work. Jesus said, I'm going to build it. How long is he going to build it? Till the Lord comes back. Uh, people are being saved. People are being, listen, I ought to be exciting to realize we're a part of the work of God. And so you have the ecclesiology, and then there's one more, and that's eschatology. Anybody know what eschatology is? The study of end times. And this is another one. People are really enamored with, boy, what's going to happen? Because what's, what's, when you think end times, what's a word that starts with P? Prophecy. Everybody wants to know about prophecy. And listen, there are, here's, here's, my, here's my, uh, my little admonition for you, all right? If, if we really understand, and by the way, we should. If we really understand what the Bible has to say about what's going to happen in the days ahead, here's what's going to happen. All the saints are going to be raptured out. If you're saved tonight, guess what? You're not going to be here. For that time known as a time of what? Tribulation. Now watch this. You should not have the attitude, well, I'm saved. I know I'm out of here. You know, I, I have no worries. Well, that might be true. But stop and think about this. God saved you and he left you here. Why did he leave you here? So that you can be a witness unto him in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. See, right now, God's using the church, ecclesia. He's using us to reach, watch this, both Jews and Gentiles. See, look, because of the unbelief of the Jew, God didn't turn completely away from them. God, God is not willing that any would perish. He wants Jews and Gentiles to be saved. And we need to understand how important it is to know these doctrines. Now, if you look at this, look, it's very important as you see this because bibliology is necessary because everything we believe is based on the Bible. Everybody hear what I just said? Now, look at those doctrines. See them right there on, on, the, on the side of that statement there? You see all the ones that we just covered, okay? Everything we believe is based on the Bible. Now, when you think about that, the most important doctrine of all is bibliology. Look at this. Because what we believe about the Bible will determine what we believe about all the other doctrines. See how bibliology is highlighted down there? Now, watch this. What you believe about the Bible. See, there are people today that they don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. And if they're like that, then guess what? They probably don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They probably don't believe that, that people, that there's a literal place called hell. See, everything you believe, of, because everything is the foundation for everything we believe is the word of God. So if I don't believe the Bible is the word of God, then I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to believe that, that we can be saved. I'm not going to believe that, you know, that there's going to be a rapture someday. I, I'm going to, you ever heard somebody try to convince you 
that where we are right now, that this is heaven on earth? You ever had that conversation with somebody and you're like, seriously? Man, you're missing that one. Do you see how important it is to understand? And like I said, tonight I know it's a little, it's a little heavy. It may not be what you expected tonight. But I'm trying to lay the groundwork for you to understand that, that where this is going to go is this is a study of the Bible. See, it's all about our doctrine. It's all about what we believe. If we, listen, if we don't know what we believe, then is our foundation solid or shaky? You know, it's amazing. Even as wrong as they are, most Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses that I come into contact with, they have been very well indoctrinated. In other words, they know what they believe. Now, it might not be true doctrine, but I'm going to tell you something. You have a, if you've ever had a conversation with any of them, you have a hard time shaking them from what they believe because they have bought it hook, line, and sinker. You see, a lot of Baptists, we just kind of go through the motions. We have a Bible in our hand. We've got one in our car and one in, one in the pew at church and one at, ha- one at the house. But we really don't know what we believe. And that's what I'm hoping God's going to do through this series is challenge you to know. Listen, does it not say in, in 1 John, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, if, God, if God's given us his word so we can know we have eternal life, God's given us his word so that we can know the, the, the teachings of the word of God, the doctrines of the word of God. So when we think about this tonight, I want to I just sum it up this way tonight. And I'll give you this, this little quote. You, you guys remember Dr. Olette, the, the guy with the bald-haired guy, the big guy that spoke 100 miles an hour, and some of you are like trying to keep up with him while he was here during the revival? And Dr. Olette, he's an amazing guy. Listen to what he said, because a lot of times... When you, when you think about doctrine, people, he says this, when people say that's not a doctrinal issue, what they really mean is that's not a doctrine that they care about because any teaching of Scripture is a doctrine. Any teaching of Scripture is a doctrine. So, so look at bibliology, understanding what the Bible means, what the, what the Word of God is, it'll settle once and for all in your heart what the, the, what the Bible teaches, that it is the Word of God. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye receive, look what he writes, the Word of God. He says, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in what? Truth, the Word of God and the word of God effectually worketh also in you that believe. See, God's word will work in and through your lives. All right, now, three thoughts. Here it is. Why is doctrine so important? Pastor, why are you making such a big deal on this first night of this series? Because doctrine is important. All right, let me give you three reasons. Number one, doctrine binds believers together. Doctrine binds believers together. See, it's the glue that holds us together. The tie that binds is one of doctrine. Without unity, here's what's going to happen is, is Christians will die spiritually, churches will die literally, and unbelievers will die eternally. Let me say that again. 
See, if we don't have unity, if we don't know what we believe, if we don't have that, that binding together with doctrine, Christians die spiritually, churches die literally, unbelievers die eternally. So doctrine is important because it binds us together. Look, it, we come from all different backgrounds and, and, and all different variations of this, that, and whatever, but the one thing that we have in common is the Lord Jesus Christ and what we believe. See, doctrine binds us together. Number two, doctrine is important because it's the grounds for fellowship. It's the grounds for fellowship. Listen, the devil's way is confusion. See, God gives us his word. He gives us the, the teachings of the word of God. And when we think about what Amos says, can two walk together except they be agreed? I mean, it ought not to be, well, I think this, and I think this, and I think this. No. You know, it's what does thus saith the Lord? We ought to be in agreement because this is what the Bible says. This is what the Word of God has to say. Before the church, and look at this in Acts 2.42, before the Bible recorded that they continued in fellowship, and so many people make so much out of fellowship, and I'm not underestimating it. We're going to have a great time on Sunday night. We're going to have a family fun night, and we're going to have a great time of fellowship after we spend some time with the Word of God. But before they continued in fellowship, what does the Bible say? They continued in doctrine. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and then it says, and fellowship, and breaking of bread. See, they were Baptists. They were breaking bread there, all right? So doctrine is the grounds for fellowship. It's the, what binds us together as believers. But look at number three. Here's, here's the third reason doctrine is important is because it's the guardian of the truth. Doctrine is the guardian of the truth. Look what Jude says here in, in verse number three. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for what? For the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So look, when you think about rightly dividing the word, okay, cutting it straight, that's what, that's what this, this entire series is going to be about. There is a right way to divide the word, but listen, if there's a right way, there must be a wrong way. See, a lot of people are cutting the word of God. You ever heard somebody say this? You took that out of context. You ever heard that? You know, they, they come up with something and you're like, where'd you get that from? And then you ask them to show you. Many times what they've done is they've just, this is what cults and some religion, they'll just lift verses off the pages of the word of God and they'll isolate that one but if you put it right back in the context that God gave it, it means something totally different than what they're trying to say that it is. So what we want to do is we want to study God's word line upon line. We want to keep it in the context. Now listen, there are principles and things that we can get from it, but we know from studying the word of God that the Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged what? Sword. You ever see a little kid playing with a sword? A real one? Scares you to death, right? Is the Bible a real sword? It literally is. It literally is. It'll cut you both ways, sharper than any two-edged sword. So you know what that means? That book is not to be played with. That means we need to get serious about the Bible. And that's what I plan on doing on Wednesday night. So anybody wants to get serious with me, Wednesday night's the place to be. Because I'm going to tell you something, what's going to help you in your life and help those you come into contact with is we need to know what we believe. How many of you say amen to that? 
Amen. All right, two times. There you go. All right, well, let's have a word of prayer, and, and we're looking forward to the days ahead. You pray for me, and if you, if you listen, anybody has some thoughts, if I can, I'll try to work some things in, but you can, you can jot some things down or email me or something, and if I can, I'll try to work some stuff in if you've got some things, some thoughts or whatever, but uh, otherwise, I'll just follow the Lord's leading on, the, on this series. I'm not using curriculum. Here's my curriculum right here. That's my curriculum, all right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening, for the great start that we had and for the hunger that I sense from those that are here tonight. Lord, may this be the beginning of a greater desire to get in the Word of God. And as we saw tonight, it's, the Bible is not something to be toyed with. Lord, help us to know what we believe. And I know there was a lot of, of, of terms tonight that may not have been familiar, but I pray that, that maybe we just let it resonate, think a little bit about what we heard tonight, and maybe look at it on paper, and just try to wrap our hearts around it. And help us to be who you saved us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.